0: It's mentally yours, from Ellen and Yvette, A focus on your mental health—you surely won't regret. It's mentally, 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 mentally yours,
1: mentally yours, mentally yours. Mentally yours. Welcome back to Mentally Yours, Metro. at Cody Case weekly podcast about all things mental health. I'm Ellen,
0: and I'm Yvette. And today we'll be chatting to Tim. Trigger warning with this one, for this episode we'll be hearing about abuse in childhood, um, as well as discussing addiction and also PTSD. I'm just going to go right from the start and, and go from probably, well, the most difficult bit. What happened to you in childhood?
2: Um, So I was sexually abused as a child by a male relative um, between the ages of around six and eight. Um, I say around because my memory of events is quite bad now. Um, After a lifetime of kind of running away from the the sort of trauma and the pain, um, memories are quite sort of jumbled up and and, um, difficult to sort of place into a sort of chronological order. But I, I, I know that it was around that sort of age.
1: Can you tell us a bit about when, because I know memories kind of get jumbled and suppressed. When did you discover that something had happened or realise that what happened wasn't right?
2: So I'd known my whole life um, growing up that that this had happened, but I didn't really contextualise it until I was a teenager mm. uh, and a friend was uh, raped Um and that that made me realise and contextualise what happened to me as a child was was similarly without my consent and and you know wasn't just a normal part of growing up. And until that point, I didn't didn't really make that connection.
0: Were you able to talk to anyone about it, and and if so, at what age?
2: Again, memory is is quite a tricky one around this, but I, I guess it's certainly coming into my teenage years. I, I had a bit of a revelation with this with this um, friend. Um, And that's when I started talking out. Uh, Initially, it was with um, my GP and uh, a sort of NHS counsellor, talking therapist. Um, But as the years went on, it became something I spoke about more openly. And and that was a bit of a defence mechanism, really. It was a way of sort of telling this story of of these things that had happened to this guy called Tim. Um, It was a bit of a defensive mechanism to put up this suit of armour and and almost mythologise it and, and... I suppose dissociation is the word they'd use. Uh, It was this thing that happened to someone else, this character called Tim.
1: Before you were able to start kind of talking about it and, you know, do that contextualising, how was it affecting you? Did you notice that you were feeling, you know, angry or anxious or anything like that?
2: I mean I had a complete mental breakdown at the mm. age of 15 um when when I realized when I came to this realization through through my friend's um sexual assault that I'd also been assaulted and you know that, that something had been violence had been perpetrated against me it, it shattered my my mind really I was quite a lucky child I I grew up in a, a you know a middle class stable household um and almost overnight it, my whole world was fractured and that started off with, as you say, anger, um, mm. depression, not being able to sleep at night, because when I did sleep, I would relive the abuse in in fairly horrific, um, glorious technicolor. And so I didn't want to sleep at night. And, you know, I dropped out of school. Um, when I was going into school, I was turning up drunk, um, being quite difficult to be around, really. Um, and as a result, my friends didn't want to be around me. They didn't know how to support me, what I was going through. Mm. Um, I was being encouraged by my uh, NHS talking therapist that I should be speaking out about what happened, not bottling it up. But whenever I did talk about it, the school would get involved. Uh, They'd be telling me, you know, it was a disciplinary matter. I shouldn't be talking to people about this sort of stuff. It was frightening other people. Um, So I kind of learned quite quickly that being honest about it was, was making other people uncomfortable. And and looking back now, I understand that, you know, they were, they were kids as well, but from that point onwards after i dropped out of that school i decided that i was going to start talking about it openly as a, as a, sc- a screening process almost of mm. if you're going to be friends with me you need to know this about me and you i need to know that you can handle it because otherwise i'm, I'm not wasting my time i don't want to be around people who can't kind of support me and and empathize with what i'm going through
1: yeah I mean, it's like an instant kind of test of trust of are you a person who can handle this i guess
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And, and and actually, to my pleasant surprise from that point onwards, I don't think anyone else ever had an issue with it. Again, I was a little bit older. The people I was hanging around with were a bit older. Um, and actually, being so open about it, I found other people opening up to me as well about their own experiences um, with, you know, not just abuse, but, you know, other issues they were going through, mental health issues, um, all sorts of stuff. And the more I spoke about it, the more people felt comfortable to come and talk to me about their own issues.
0: It must have been difficult, though, to sort of go through that process of, I mean, obviously it happened in the first place, but then starting to talk about it and sort of doing what your um, counsellor therapist advised, and then to be shut down again.
2: So it was about 15, 16 when I I came to the realisation of what happened. Um, I had this breakdown, was quite difficult to be around. This resulted in my parents um, asking me to leave home at the age of around 16, um, and I was homeless for a year. Uh, drinking heavily, doing drugs, all sorts of stuff, um, you know, petty crimes, try and make money. And it was, it wasn't until I was sort of 16, 17 after about a year of this, that I started to pull myself back together, got back into education and got back onto some sort of path of of normality um, in inverted commas. But my mental health symptoms just continue to deteriorate. I was, I went from you know depression and not being able to sleep to to actually psychosis. Um, you know, I was hearing voices, hearing this inner monologue um, tormenting me, just myself tormenting me. Um, picking up on you know all the things that you're vulnerable about as a as a sixteen year old, seventeen year old person, all the things you don't like about yourself. You you know yourself so well, and it's a cruel twist when when that knowledge kind of Turns in on your on your on your own self, um, so it was torture really um, for a long time. Thankfully, over the years, I've I've had mental health problems on and off over the years, but thankfully they have become more manageable, um, and I've been able to deal with them and, and and sort of make some progress. And there's been some key life sort of milestones along the way that have helped me do that. Um, prosecuting the, the man who abused me when I was in my sort of late, in my early thirties, I think I was at the time that was a big milestone for me. And the baggage is still there. The past is still mm. there, but it was a turning point for me that allowed me to stop running and to face up to what I'd been through and to look that trauma square in the, in the, in the face and, and kind of stop running away because I think a, a part of my mental health challenges have been, have been running away. They've been, you know, the, the using of, of alcohol and substances to try and sort of numb the pain the, the, the not wanting to feel anything because to feel was so overwhelming um, it, it took me a long time to to sort of be to build up the strength to be able to cope with that.
1: I think the point you raised about kind of using alcohol and drugs to just feel nothing and escape from it will really resonate with a lot of people. Can you tell us a bit about your experience of how you started using these substances, how it maybe tipped into addiction?
2: So uh, it was probably around the age of 15 when when this mm. sort of revelation happened that, my drinking went from, you know, youthful experimentation into Mm -hmm. a daily habit of buying vodka and sitting from morning till night drinking, um, missing out school and getting people to come round and sit with me and, you know, pull our money together. And I go out and get served at the age of 15. I was quite a big chap. Um, so that's when it's kind of started really. Um, and I I dabbled in sort of smoking pot at parties and things Mm -hmm. like that, but it quite rapidly grew over the course of that period of homelessness from, from sort of drinking into, into harder stuff. Um, and then that's something that followed me around for a lot of my twenties, really. Um, I, I was, I was always quite high functioning. I could work, I could have relationships. Um, but it was, it was, it was always there in the background. Uh, and it was always holding me back, I think. So, the thing about abuse is that it's it's not just the trauma that you go through at the time, it, it haunts you for years to come. Mm. And although I've done fairly well in my life and my career, I feel like I would have been uh, – I, I feel like it's held me back, certainly. I feel like mm. I've not achie- achieved necessarily the things I want to achieve um, and I could have done so sooner and younger if I hadn't have been you know, carrying around these burdens.
1: How do you come to terms with that? Because that's a really difficult – thing to kind of accept that if this thing that was out of your control hadn't happened, you know, you could have, your life would have been completely different. You'd be a different person. How do you accept that?
2: There's a few things there, really. There's the fact that I've had to learn to love myself. I've had Mm. to learn to even like myself. I couldn't stand myself for a long time. And part of the addiction is that it's the shame and the, the pain and the guilt and it's all turned inwards. Um, and you have to learn forgiveness. You have to learn forgiveness of yourself, but also forgiveness of the person who did this to me. Um, and that's going to sound quite controversial to some people. I'm not suggesting everyone should do that. That that just happens to be my path, that I had to let go of all the hatred and the anger and the pain and the suffering that I was carrying around. Um, how I did that was through um, talking therapy, through counselling. Um, but a lot of it was actually self-directed. It was reaching out to other survivors, talking to other survivors about their experiences, learning what they had found helped them. And a big thing for me was meditation. Um, I've, I've been meditating for about seven or eight years now. Um, and that's really allowed me to find a sense of peace that was there all along inside me. And I just had to stop and look and find it. Um, and when I did, it was a really transformational thing. It, it, it went from along with that that sort of milestone of the the court case, learning to sit and be in the moment and, and for emotions not to be overwhelming. Cause that's, that's mm. the fear. That's the, that's the running away. You think that, that if you open yourself up to emotion, it's going to overwhelm you because it has done in the past. Um, but learning to sit and be with your emotions and your thoughts, they're, they're uncomfortable, they're difficult, um, but to stop running away. And, and the court case was the, the thing that was the, the turning point, but meditation is the tool that helped me to, to sort of cement that as part of my life.
1: Can you tell us a bit about the court case and how you kind of came to the decision to, okay, I'm going to prosecute this after so much time?
2: Yes. So the birth of my nephew um, made me realise that, you know, there's a whole another generation of kids out there now that Mm. are uh, potentially vulnerable to this guy. And I just wanted them to know, I just wanted to make sure the police were aware of who he was. Um, And going through that court case was not easy. Um, Mm. It was... Several years in the making, the building up the case, um, having to go through in quite minute detail experiences that I'd done my best to bury and to run away from for all that time, having to face up to them again and you know pick open the old wounds um, that had only just really healed over, it was one of the most difficult things I've ever been through in my life, um, but also one of the most rewarding personally.
0: Do you say it was re-traumatizing, and what support did you have for that at that, at that time?
2: A hundred percent it was re-traumatizing. Um, it was It was, as I say, living through memories and 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 sort of fragments of memory that I'd buried and and, and stuff came back in quite quite a lot of detail that I had uh, blocked out, and that that mythologizing, that storytelling that I did that protected me for so long was just stripped away. It was just, you had to sit and be with the raw emotion and memory and, and all of that stuff. So it was really challenging. Um, I didn't really have any support in terms of, you know, from the police or anyone, uh, in an official capacity, I, I did seek out, um, counselling through the NHS and, and was lucky enough to have a, a really great, uh, counsellor that sort of helped me through, um, But yes, I mean, you just, you just have to, you have to be so strong to go through it. And I I completely understand, you know, people say, why didn't you come forward sooner to to people who've been through this stuff. And it's just missing the point. You don't Mm. understand how traumatic it is to deal with this stuff. So I completely understand why people don't come forward straight away. There's the not being believed. There's the shame of admitting it all. There's the, you know, am I even going to get a prosecution out of this? Uh, You know, thankfully the police were were great they they believed me from from the get-go um they they you know never challenged anything I was telling them um and they were very as much as they could be they were very sort of gentle in the way they kind of led me through the process um but yes it's just there, there isn't a lot of support out there you have to kind of be your own support and just rely on friends and family really
1: It's really disappointing, though, to hear that there was nothing kind of official provided. Like, I know it shouldn't be surprising, but I was surprised to hear that. What kind of support do you wish that there was for other victims?
2: That's a good question. I I mean, there there certainly were. There was talk of of support. There was a victim Mm. liaison officer. um, But all that was was really keeping me abreast of what was going on in the case. So it's been handed to the CPS. It's going to court on this date he's been released you know mm. that 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 was the the, the kind of the, the communications that were on offer i i think there should be counseling there should be yeah. you know support for 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 and i you know i i'll pick you up on the word victim there because it's a word that a lot of survivors of abuse don't particularly like um mm. i'm not i'm not particularly bothered by it myself but some people prefer the no, term apologies that. <laughs> I no, that i realised i
1: misspoke after so i said like, oh,
2: i it, it doesn't bother me in the slightest but um but yeah some people prefer the term mm. survivor because it's empowering i, I think just having done that gone to court was the empowering thing for me Mm. um and words are just words at the end of the day so um it's about the intention behind it but but yeah for for for, for other people who've been through this there should be more formal support there should be tools on offer whether that's you know talking therapy or um cbt or sorry yeah cbt i keep getting cbt and cbd confused (laughs) uh cbt cognitive behavioral therapy um meditation um yoga exercise just basic self-care as well, because that's something that tends to be neglected in people who've been through this. You, you, you don't care about yourself. Mm. Um, I mean, that's, that's, there, there have been times in my life where I've been, you know, actively suicidal. Um, and then there've been other times where I've been just putting myself in risky situations and not caring if I come out the other side of it. Um, and, yeah, the, the self-care and self-love thing, I think, is a big thing. You have to learn to take care of yourself um, and just learning that, you know, things like exercise and diet and sleeping well and just looking after yourself in, in those sort of basic ways. They're not going to cure anything. They're not going to change what you're going through. Um, you're still going to be going through it, but they do make it a lot easier to bear.
0: Where are you now in terms of managing um, your PTSD and your mental health in general?
2: much, much better than I've ever been before. Um, lockdown one was, was, was challenging. Um, I saw my drinking sort of increasing quite steadily. Um, anxiety was through the roof initially. Um, but thankfully, because of what I've been through before, I, I kind of saw those patterns re-emerging and, and sort of took myself to one side and said, look, you need to stop drinking now. You need to start exercising and diet and, you know, all that kind of stuff, meditating regularly. Um, so I think, it's still a challenge, but I have the tools to deal with that challenge and I have the self-awareness to, if not stop it before it starts, at least catch myself when I'm sliding back into old habits and, and, and do something to address them.
1: What does that look like for you, addressing it?
2: It's all those things that I've, I've mentioned, mm. really. It's it's the making sure I'm getting regular exercise, um, eating properly, meditation, 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 <laughs> rinse and repeat. It's... it's it's been if I could point to one thing that's been really transformational it's it, it is that um so yes it's, it's just a day-to-day kind of looking after yourself and and I'm lucky and that meditation I don't, yeah yeah absolutely yeah um it's I'm, I'm lucky that I don't have to take medication anymore that's not something I'm, I'm I'm sort of needing to rely on that's not to judge anyone who does because I've got a lot of friends that that do um have to 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 use medication and it's something that has helped me through particularly difficult times in the past um but it is just about that self-care and that awareness of of recognizing the warning signs um and sometimes it's too late when you do sometimes Mm. it's you're already down that path and you're shocked and surprised oh I'm back here again how's this happened um so it's being vigilant you have to just be constantly vigilant to 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 recognize that your own thought processes and and yeah, see see sort of patterns reemerging. And when you do to take a firm hand and kind of um yeah deal with them there and then
0: what would you say to um other survivors of childhood sexual abuse um particularly if they're struggling um or if they're thinking about maybe um taking their case to court what are your thoughts?
2: This is a difficult one for me because it's something that I've gone back and forth over over the years. Um, for me personally, it's been really empowering to, to talk uh, about my experiences and to find a community, you know, on on Twitter and elsewhere, there are a lot of people that are are, are speaking out about their experiences. And one of the big things for me when I was a teenager was just feeling so alone. Um, Mm. You feel like you're a complete freak. No one else is going through this or ever has done before. Um, And to find that there's this whole kind of world out there of, of other people who've been through similar. Um, is it was that was the support I needed really that was the support that I I I leaned on um and when I was going through the court case that was that was something I quite heavily um drew on speaking to other survivors so what would I say to other survivors do what's right for you I think um be kind to yourself if you feel that talking about it with someone who who kind of has been through similar would be helpful there are Informal ways you can do that through through you know social media and elsewhere. But there's f- formal places. Uh, there's a lot more support now than there was when I was growing up. um Survivors UK, particularly for men, um, has has been somewhere that I've um, come across more recently. But I think is doing great work to help male survivors. Um, and I think there's a, you know there's a lot of other groups out there and people doing great things. So I would just do trust trust yourself. Learn to trust yourself a bit more. Um, Opening up, I think, is a great thing, but some people have closed down because of what they've been through is so traumatic that to revisit it is such a daunting prospect. So, you know, w- when it comes to the court case thing, for me, I got the right result, but I think I, I went, as I say, I went into it without expecting anything. Um, for, for me, it was it was a chance to put my story on the record and to be heard and to be believed. I know from other survivors that's not always the case that's not always their experience um, sometimes along gender lines you know um, mm. there's a, there are all sort of fa- sorts of factors at play um, in terms of how lucky you are with the, the cop you get at the other end of the, the phone because I, I've got nothing but great things to say about the people who looked after my case but I know that's not a universal experience unfortunately
0: So this is goodbye from mentally yours, so go away, enjoy your day, get on with all your chores. From mentally, 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 mentally yours. Mentally yours. mentally yours, mentally yours, If you've been affected by any of the issues we've been chatting about today, please give the Samaritans a ring on 116 123 or you can email them at joe at you can also go to their website which is samaritans.org if you've liked this please give us a rate and review we're also on social media on twitter at mentally and we're also on facebook the group is private but it's just called mentally yours see you next time